As I said earlier, uh, happy Father's Day to everybody, especially happy Father's Day since my dad is in the house, so happy Father's Day to my father as well. So today is our upper room service, so as we said, the kids stay uh, in uh, for this service, and we, and we do that for a couple of reasons. I always like to kind of say why we keep the kids uh, in the service. One, uh, we, we, want have, we have some fun times uh, with the kids on stage, so it's always exciting to have them here, but also we want them to understand what communion is. We, we want them to, to know uh, what the bread and the cup represent, and it's the best way to see it is in the service as we are taking part and as we are reading the scriptures uh, for all these things. Now, because kids are in the service, I do want to say, look, there is not a, a certain age when it becomes right for somebody to take communion. Uh, what we believe here is that when a, a child can understand uh, what Christ has done for them on the cross and understand the forgiveness that comes, uh, we are welcome them uh, to take communion. There's no class that they have to take to, be, to become uh, ready to take communion. Uh, they need to repent and believe. And, and as parents, we, we understand that, and we hope to see all of our kids uh, come to that. Remember, uh, we still do have those individual cups as we kind of prepare for communion a little bit later uh, at the chairs uh, in front of you if you're still not quite comfortable uh, with the elements being passed uh, around. So um, let's see here. I guess that's all kind of we have for introduction. So kids, uh, why don't you come on up on stage and we'll have a little bit of fun, uh, a lot of fun with you guys uh, on the stage here. They're running. All right. Here they go. Here we go. Excellent. Excellent. Why did I do this to you? I didn't do anything to you. What do you... Th All right. Well, I, I thought because of it being Father's Day, we would take an opportunity for maybe some of the kids just to share a little aspect of maybe a memory that they have with their dad or what makes their dad so great. Hopefully one kid up here has an excellent report <laughs> to give about their father or anything. No pressure, Kenzie. So uh, does anybody have a great memory that they want to share about? The oh, I, for some reason, I knew you'd be first, Luke. All right, Luke, what do you want to say about your dad? Um, I like to go, um, with the, go watch the Jets. You like to go watch, do you guys watch planes, the Jets? Oh, they do. They go watch the, oh, that's awesome. You going to be a pilot? Yeah? I saw some pretty awesome Jets at the air show in Ocean City. All right. Oh, you were there too last weekend? Oh, we were there, but we could have hung out. Man, we could have watched these kids play some great soccer. All right, who else has a great memory with dad? Whoa, sorry, my back was turned. I didn't see you there. You should have said something. All right. Um, so when my real dad was alive, he used to take me to Subway after school, and it just, like, I now cherished it. Oh, very nice. Awesome. Everybody loves some Subway. Oh, you're good. All right, anybody else on this side have something? Oh, oh, this is good. All right. I was 
I want to. I would like to play with my baby dolls. You like to play with your baby dolls? Yeah. With Daddy? Yeah. Tim, do you? All right. He says he does. He says he does. That's a good dad. Good dads play with baby dolls. Don't be ashamed. There you go. Yeah. All right. Oh. Oh yeah. Here we go. Oh, we got. To, all right. Let me come on down. Here we go. Um. When. <laughs> um, whenever, whenever my dad tries making a joke, his jokes are so terrible. <laughs> oh, she said your jokes are terrible. <laughs> sorry, Travis. I didn't know it was coming. That was, I could have tried to defend you, but I'm sorry. That was, all right, you got something? I, I love my dad. You there you go. Now, we're going to look at this a little bit later, but we're going to talk about favoritism in kids and how the dangers. But we'll see what happens. All right. Anybody else have a memory? Yes. Right. Here, you call the mic. Take it away, Kenzie. No. I like going to Oriole games with you. Yeah. You know, you, you raise them right. Ravens and Orioles. There we go. And we got Nuggets now. So Denver Nuggets. Oh! All right, here we go. You can hold Watching it wrestling games with my stepdad. Watching wrestling. All right. When we go on, like, little adventures to new places, like parks and stuff. Oh. They, al they always play Pokemon Go. She's just selling out your family. She's... <laughs> this is the danger when kids get microphones. You find out everything. Do you got one? You do? All right. I go ice skating with my dad. Oh, ice skating. Do you fall? Yeah. Yeah. Does your dad help you to get, you, get all the boo-boos fixed? <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So I got one more question for you guys. And you can think about this, but... Not just a memory, but what is one thing that you think makes a good dad? What'd you say? Being a dad. Being a dad. All right, being a dad. All right. Whenever your dad, whenever my dad plays with me, or like tries making me feel better, whenever, but even though it doesn't work. <laughs> you try to make her feel better, but it doesn't work. I try, I'm trying up here. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. No favoritism. Favoritism. <laughs> we'll talk about it, yes. Caring about their children. Caring about their children. There we go. Being fun. Being fun. All right. Anybody else have anything that makes a good dad? Oh, I don't know if I'm coming over to you anymore. We'll, we'll see. Having family vacations. Family vacations. Is this going to be good? Maybe. Ma <laughs> Should I go to her? Yeah. Oh, I'm getting the no. <laughs> I'm getting the... No, go to her. Go to her. All right, all right, all right. Whenever, whenever dads, whenever dads, um, I 
I forgot what I was going to say. You forgot what you were going to say. I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was fantastic. All right. Hey, thank, give it up for all the kids and for all the dads. Okay. I think I know why Luke came up here. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Take, take easy, 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 easy. You could take two, two. Not, hey, Luke, not two handfuls. Two, two. <laughs> so I'm just waiting. All right. There you go. No. No. <laughs> I don't think I did. All right. There's one, two. Luke, you were the first one up here. You're still up here. All right. No, 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 no. Okay, one more piece. Hurry up. Now you're taking up my time. No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. Actually, I need some assistance. <laughs> there we go. I would have said Travis, but apparently we don't know how he was. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, this thing. All right, now here's the question. Did any of those kids just give a piece of candy to their dad? Oh, Carl, oh, Carl, she redeemed herself. Look at that. There we go. All right. Anybody want some candy? All right, I'll toss some out. I don't know what everybody wants. Just throw some out. I'll throw it back. Jess, you can get up and get it. I, whoa, I missed you there. That was pretty good. I don't know how I missed there, but I totally missed him. That was fantastic. Anybody in the back wants some? I'll try. I'm getting that. I'm getting, oh, yeah. Whoa! Whoa! And this is the year you stop playing softball with a catch like that? Oh, my goodness. We're going to throw it up in the air and just hope nobody gets hurt. Don't worry, we do have insurance. <laughs> All right. Oh, man, there's a lot of kids back there. Watch out, parents. It's coming at you. This is... All right. These are lollipops, too. This is probably not... You're probably not supposed to throw lollipops, are you? Jake's like, no, you're not. All right. Close your eyes and just hope you don't get poked. All right. I got some more. There we go. All right, we got coming at you. Coming at you. Watch out. Oh. I am. This is definitely could be a fireable offense. We'll see what happens. All right. Everybody get, everybody over. All right. I didn't really think that through having lollipops until about halfway through, and I was like, this is probably a bad idea. Um, so, did, did anybody get poked in the eye? All right, we escaped. We escaped with everything else. Whew. All right. Well, let me go ahead and pray for us, and pray for those who are injured during this process, and we'll go about with our message for this morning. Heavenly Father, we just... Uh, thank you for a day where we set aside and just remember the, the men that you have put into our lives. 
uh, to lead us there spiritually, to guide us, and to lead our families, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for all those you put in, whether it's a, a, a father by blood, maybe it's a spiritual father who has come alongside us, Lord. Lord, we just pray, and we thank you for all those you brought into our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us for this whole year, we've been going through a Life of Christ series, uh, working our way through his life, seeing his teachings, his interactions with people. Uh, but today we're going to take a little pause and we're going to focus uh, on fathers for this day. Now I know that this day, as we've already kind of said, can be difficult for some. Maybe uh, your father has never really been involved in your life. Maybe your father has already been called home. But today we honor all those fathers who are in our lives, who are leading us spiritually and guiding us in many ways to take on the role that God wants us to have in our lives. But the question we all ask is, what makes a good father? Today we're going to take a look at various fathers throughout Scripture. We're going to look at maybe some bad examples and some good examples. We're going to have two of each as we go through this, and then I'm going to finish with six characteristics that I think we learn from those good and bad examples, and as well from Scripture about what makes for a godly father. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit in Scripture. I'm going to have all those verses on the screens for us. Uh, but as we always like to go, do you like to start with the good news or the bad news? Well, hopefully you say bad news, because that's how it's in my order here. So even if you said good, we were going to start with bad anyway. So that's how we're going to go uh, about this. And we've already kind of talked about this a little bit. We're going to look at Jacob and the dangers of favoritism. You know, Jacob is one of those honored patriarchs of the nation of Israel and in our faith. Yet his regrettable, regrettable actions as a father, specifically in his relationships with his son Joseph, and the damage that it causes to this family. Jacob's favoritism had a deep impact on his family dynamics, leading to jealousy, division, and immense pain as they work their way through us, through it. So let's dive into this story and uncover this negative example that we see and how it can be a danger to our own families today. It begins in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to be reading verses 3 and 4. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Genesis 37 tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. And he gives him this special robe as this kind of symbol of this elevated status within the family, kind of setting him apart from the rest of his brothers. But let's think about this. Where did he kind of maybe learn this example from? Remember, his father and mother even had their own favorites. Jacob was the favorite of his mother, Rebekah, and Esau was the favorite of his father, Isaac. Passed on through generations. Jacob's favoritism spreads a seed of envy and division throughout the family. Joseph's dreams, in which his brothers bowed down to him, even made it more worse. His brothers, already feeling disregarded and overlooked, grew bitter about Joseph's position. The division became intense, fueling a toxic environment where trust was shattered and unity was nowhere to be found. The consequences of Jacob's favoritism soon unfolded. 
when Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers, their bitterness and rage boiled over, and it blinded them into a conspiracy to kill their brother Joseph. But eventually, I guess some sense came about, and they merely just sold him into slavery into Egypt. Jacob's favoritism not only shattered his family, but also led to Joseph's painful separation from his loved ones. The repercussions of this were long and lasting for the family. You know, we often focus on the negative effects of the favoritism on the favored or on the neglected, but let's not forget the impact it had on Jacob himself. It blinded him to the needs of his other children and of his other sons. It prevented him from building a healthy relationship with all of his children so that there was a strong family unit. Jacob's own grief upon learning of Joseph's supposed death was a heartbreaking reminder of the consequences of his failures as a father. Jacob's story serves as an ageless reminder of the dangers of favoritism and the impact they could have on our families. We must recognize that every child deserves to be loved, appreciated, and treated with fairness. As fathers, we are called to to foster an environment of love, acceptance, and unity within our families, rather than creating this place of division and favoritism. It is vital for us to create this atmosphere where each child is valued, where they are celebrated and supportive. As we reflect on Jacob's negative example as a father, let us hinder and let us understand the consequences that it can have for a family as the division that it may cause. May we strive to be fathers who nurture an environment of love and unity. Let us learn from Jacob's mistakes and build strong relationships with all our children. In doing so, we honor God's call to be loving and just fathers guaranteeing that there won't be anything dividing us within the family. It's an easy question, right? I mean, how many times do you get asked as a parent, who's your favorite? Okay, and hopefully, maybe there's a little joking, coarse joking, but going on and everything. But look, we understand and we know that we have no favorites. I know that Ava and Kenzie each bring something valuable to our family, and I know that Christy and I myself love them both equally. Right, guys? They're like, yeah. So that's it. we go. And we go about that and we create this environment. We, we see the negative example that it can cause upon a family. Maybe you even experienced yourself. Maybe you've seen that interaction within either your own family or families around you. So we move on to look at another poor example. And we want to look now at Eli. Eli, who was a a priest in Israel during a critical time in its history. Eli had many worthy qualities, but he had a failure as a father to confront and address the sins of his sons, and it serves as a cautionary tale for all parents. We will explore this negative example and reflect on the lessons that we can learn from it. We're introduced to Eli and his sons in 1 Samuel 1, chapter 3. As I said, Eli held a high position, the position of a priest. He had responsibility for overseeing the spiritual affairs of a nation and ensuring that justice prevailed among the people. However, despite his noble role, Eli's failure to lay a long-term, 
His failure in having a long-term neglect over his own household caused destructive damage. You see, his sons were also priests, serving alongside the father, and sadly they abused their position of authority. They engaged in wicked practices and dishonoring God. They treated the offerings and the sacrifices with contempt, indulging in immorality, and disregarded the holiness of their calling. Now we read about this in 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. It says this, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. You know, we get a lot of descriptions about people through Scripture Is this one that you think is a good one? No. Hopefully, as we think about these things, we think about him, them being called worthless and not knowing the Lord and all that they do. But we'll see it's not completely negative as we go about this. You know, one of the gravest mistakes Eli made was a failure to address and correct the sins of his sons. Instead of confronting their wrongdoing, he merely kind of rejects, he rebukes them with gentle words, lacking the necessary firmness and discipline. Eli's inaction allowed his sons to continue down a path of destruction, leading to their ultimate demise. As I said, you'll notice in verse 22 of that same chapter, he does kind of mention some rebuke, but it's already too late. The passage mentions that he kept hearing about his sons over and over. He kept hearing it get worse. They didn't even know the Lord. Why were they even serving as priests? And then God says this to Eli in that same chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel and verse 29. It says then, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons Above me, by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people, Israel. His immoral sons who were behaving as no priest should, he honors his sons above God. He calls them out, but he never really tried to get them to leave their life of sin. In chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, God is explaining his judgment on Eli. And he says this to the young Samuel. This is 1 Samuel 3.13. He says this, For I told him, Eli, that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, his sons blaspheming God, and he failed to restrain them. See, he tried. He spoke into their life, but he never really tried to stop the sins that they were doing. See, he didn't bring them to the elders of the town gate. He did not remove their priestly office from them. He did not remove their priestly garments. He did not ban them from performing sacrifices. He did not call on the people to even stone them for their fornifications. All of this was what was required by the Old Testament law. But this is what characterized Eli's life as a father. He spoke up, but he didn't really back it up. Maybe he had a hard time telling them no. He didn't want to hurt his sons and and telling them to stop. He didn't want to displease his sons. But instead, all he did was cause long-term negative effects by not addressing the sins of his children. 
God in his righteous judgment brought severe consequences upon Eli and his family as his sons were killed. He sent a prophet to deliver this message, revealing that Eli's lineage would be cut off forever from the priesthood. This tragic outcome not only affects Eli, but has long-lasting impacts upon the nation of Israel. We need to be training up our children that sin has consequences and that God will not be mocked. As parents, I think there's three things that we need to be doing as we look to the struggles and the failures of Eli. One, we need to address sin in the lives of our children promptly. As fathers, we must address sin, especially within our own families. We can't overlook when our children begin to wander off the path which God has called them to be on. We are to set these spiritual boundaries for our families. But we also, along with that, need to combine love and discipline. Eli's failure was neglecting the discipline that also was called for in this poor behavior of his children. We must learn to combine the love that we have for our children and desire for them to live a God-honoring life. We must provide correction with grace, but also setting clear boundaries and expectations to live out the life that God has had for us. And the last thing I think we also see is that we need to lead by example. You see, his own, Eli's own integrity was in question. As fathers, we must remember that our actions speak louder than words. We, we must lead the example by living out our faith so that our children can make the right choices, so that they can honor God with what they do in their lives. We want to have that solid foundation that they can make the right choices for their life. The example of Eli's failures as a father lead us to the importance of addressing sin promptly, combining love and discipline, and leading by example. As fathers, we have the responsibility to nurture our children, to guide them in the way of righteousness, to lead them in the path and the instructions that God has for our lives. Let us learn from Eli's example and draw close to God, striving to create strong households who serve the Lord with all that we do. And may we be willing to speak up when we see things not going the way God wants the lives to go. So we've seen some negative examples of favoritism and not addressing sin properly in the lives of our children. And there's huge consequences in each of these situations. Destruction to the family, path of pain and heartbreak, damage to the family unit. But let's take a look at some good examples. Now, I want to preface it when I say good because we know that as we look to Scripture, there are no perfect examples of a father except for God himself. So even as we look to these good examples, I know we're going to see and understand, hey, but what about this part of his life? And I think it's good to recognize that, knowing that no father is perfect. I'm sure if we ask all of the children who are on stage here, probably a dangerous question to ask, but to say, hey, how is your dad not perfect? Well, actually, one kid might have no problem answering that question. That was on stage. But as we go about this and thinking all these things, we know that as fathers, we fail. We know that we stumble, but our desire is that we lead a godly life to set the example for our children. So with all that being said, I want to take a first look at Noah. 
Noah was a man who stood as a, a shining example of, of a godly father among an evil and corrupt generation. In, in the midst of a world consumed by sin, Noah's faithfulness, obedience, and commitment to God provided a valuable lesson for all of us as fathers. Let us understand what we have here as we turn to the book of Genesis in chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every tension of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. It tells us that, that the heart of the people were, were filled with evil and violence. Yet Noah found favor. Despite being surrounded by an ungodly generation, Noah held firm to his faith. God, he trusted in God and in God's promises for him, even when it seemed impossible. Noah's unwavering faith teaches us the importance of holding fast to our beliefs. He walked with God, even when his society encourages compromise. We think about the world that we live in today, and as fathers, as we desire for them to be living that godly example again, in the midst of a generation that surrounds us to, to call them out of those things. As fathers, we are, setting, we are setting the example in an increasingly secular world that wants to pull them further and further away from the truth of God. God reveals his plan for Noah to build an ark. And despite maybe the mockery of those he faced, his obedience was focused on God alone. As fathers, we want to lead our families in trusting the Word of God and what He has for us. See, Noah was a protector and provider for his family. In a world filled with uncertainties, our children look for us for stability and security. Noah's story is a powerful example of all that we can face in this world and the struggle with the culture that surrounds us. His faith and obedience and dedication to God serves as an example to us today. We are called to be men of faith who, who lead our, our families with courage, integrity, and love. May, may we as fathers rise above the culture that surrounds us, a, a generation that is fading and passing away, and we will remain true to the example of Christ and all his teachings. Let us create an environment of godliness and love in our families. May God empower us to be these godly fathers, as Noah was, the example of faith and obedience for a generation to come. You know, as a dad of, of two teenage daughters who are growing up in this world and even going to public school across the street, I understand the, the generation that they are being raised in, a, a generation that is almost probably just as bad, maybe not as bad as even Noah's, but where every thought is corrupt. And I wanted to share an example for you uh, that I was kind of wandering the store as we were shopping. So everybody know the store Five Below? It's kind of a fun store, right? Although it's not always Five and Below anymore. It used to be everything was five bucks or less. 
but now it's not so much, but that's a separate subject. So, uh, it's a store that also is really designed for kids, right? I mean, they have a ton of things, and there's some other stuff, but they want kids in the store. So as our kids were wandering the store, uh, I, I kind of was wandering. I hate shopping. I just don't like it. So when we go to a store, I just kind of do my own thing, and I was going across and looking at the books. I don't know why. I don't even read. But I was going and looking at the books, and, and some of these books actually caught my attention. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but these were the books that were actually a five below. I got some of these pictures here. So here's the first one. This book says, Challenge Everything. And it says, A Youth Guide to Saving the Planet. And I have other pictures. There's some crazy stuff in there. But basically, telling these kids, look, challenge everything that you believe. The next one, Spellcraft, a guided journal for casting, cleansing, and blessing. Here, this is right next to all these little coloring books in your wonderful Five Below store. Next one, Laws of Attraction, a manifest journal, a guided journal for manifesting your deepest desires. All right, next one, Candle Magic for beginners, not experienced. It says spells for abundance, love, and healing. Look at the bottom, the author is Mystic Dylan. So there you go. So you go through all those things. So uh, the next one, tarot cards. Look at this. This is helping them understand all that these cards can bring into your lives in this. So this is that. Next one, divine your dinner, a, a way of introducing all these tarot cards into your dinner. Whew, you're going fast, Ava. Whew, all right. Here we go. Next one. This, I, think, I think this might be the last one. It says a, pract- a book of practical witchcraft. Uh, compelling spells and all these things to help you reach all these things. All these books just laid out uh, at there. Now, I am not calling for a boycott of like five below. I know it's everybody jumps to. Look, there's some great stuff. But what I'm calling us to say and what I want, oh, I think there's one more. Is there one more? Is that it? All right, that was it. All right. So, so all those things going through that and I was reflecting on those and thinking about the way that we are, we're raising our... And this is a store that is designed to have kids go through and shop. And those books are just laid out next to coloring books and all these different things for them to just kind of maybe almost like stumble across and find all these things. And I reflect back to the story of Noah. And think about this. Noah was raising his family around an entire generation that God was going to wipe out. (laughs) He was going to kill them all with a flood. And yet Noah remained faithful to all that he did. Now, not the perfect father in any kind of way, but he remains true, and he was a man that Scripture calls blameless and and somebody who walked with God. All these things going through as we look at the world in which we're raising our kids. There's one more example that I want to look at today, and it's the example of Job. Job is a, is a man in the, in the midst of struggles and, and trials who remains steadfast to his faith, displaying admirable qualities that serve an example to all men. In Job 1, Job is described as a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil, very similar to the words we heard about Noah. And then we hear about some of Job's actions in, in chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings 
to the number of them and to all. All for this is for his children. And it says that Job would say that it may be that my children may have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job, Job did continually. He was offering sacrifices. He was praying for his children, thinking, maybe my children have sinned today. And as fathers, we want to show this same commitment as we raise our children, that they would be prayed covered in prayer, that we would be leading them and providing for them in all that they did. Job's dedication to his family was evident as his role as provider and protector. He worked to ensure that his children didn't lack anything as it came to their spiritual care. He prayed for them. He sought after them. And we must be willing to do the same thing, to pray and care for our children, to show the example even through hard times. We, we know how the story of Job kind of plays out. And he ends up losing his family. But in the end, he gets all that and more returned to him for his faithfulness to the Word of God. It's a challenging story as we look to the example of Job, of his afflictions and not wavering in his faith and trust and commitment in all that he did for God. He sought first his children. He prayed for his children. He led them in spiritual ways. And again, as fathers, we want to be setting this example for our families as well. We want to live out this idea of love and unwavering faith no matter what circumstances God comes into our lives, that our kids see us honoring and trusting God with all that we do. In the same way, Job led his family and never refrained from giving praise to God. May we remain faithful. Let us remember the path that is laid out before us, that we can navigate every trial, everything that comes into our way, setting this example for God. So, of course, as we've seen, we have two bad examples and two good examples. But there's one more, as I said, perfect example. And it's the perfect example as we look to God, our, our Heavenly Father. And we look to Him, the one who is perfect example of love, a perfect example of compassion, and a perfect example of wisdom. We know that as earthly fathers, we will fail often. But we know that we can teach our children that their Heavenly Father will never fail them, and that He will always be there for them, and that they can turn to their good, good Father in all that they do in their lives. You know, I think as we prepare to close today, we can reflect on this message, and we can think of these examples, and I think we can think about six qualities that I think maybe shine forth as we look at a godly father. First and foremost, I think a godly father is a man of faith. He recognizes the importance of leading his family in spiritual matters. I think about when, when Paul was writing to Timothy, he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. As he's talking about some unholy things. And he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. But may we, as fathers, pursue these things in all that we do for our families. Be a man of faith. I also think that we are a place of unconditional love and acceptance, that we love our children beyond even what they think they even deserve. A Christ-like father loves his children. Colossians 3.14 says, 
And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. May we be a place of love for our children. And sometimes love, as we said before, is speaking the hard truth and calling them out when times are necessary to be called out. Further, a godly father is a man of integrity. His actions show what he believes. He is honest. He is moral and upright in all that he does. He recognizes that his words and his actions have lasting impact upon his children. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. May we be that upright, straight path, leading our children in the ways of integrity. And it's not just that. I think a Christ-like father, a godly father, also characterized by his selflessness. Selflessness. He puts the needs of his family above his own, his desires, and he sacrifices his time and energy to be there for his family. He delights in serving his family, knowing that he is setting the good example for them. And for this, we look about Philippians in the example of Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves more significant than yourself. Let each other look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. We live these out in our godly fathers. Additionally, a godly father is a teacher and a mentor for his family. As we said, guiding them in all the things that are Christ. One of the most challenging verses I always think in Scripture, and it comes to my mind often, is 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Others say, follow me as I follow Christ. And can we say that to our children? Children, follow the example that I am setting forth as I follow Christ and as I am living out this life that I want you to follow as well. And lastly, I think a godly father is present and engaged in his children's lives. He understands that his time is precious with his children. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Today is a day where we set aside and we look and we honor those that God has brought into our lives as fathers. Whether it's a physical father, whether it's a spiritual father, we remember all that God has done in bringing us up in his truth. And hopefully as we see from these examples and these qualities, we understand and we strive to be this as fathers ourselves, that we set forth this example for our children. And as we said, we think about the ultimate sacrifice of our loving Heavenly Father, who sent His Son into this world to die upon a cross. And that is what we come here to remember as we reflect on the body which was broken and the blood that was spilt. Because it's the ultimate example from a loving Heavenly Father to a sinful and lost generation that we might find newness of life in the sacrifice of his son. I'd invite the ushers to come forward as we get ready for a time of remembrance and thinking about all that our Heavenly Father has done for us. Remember here at Faith Fellowship Church, as we take time to, to think about communion, you don't have to be 
a member of Faith Fellowship Church to participate in communion. We just ask that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have repented and that you believe in him. And as we pass around the bread, we'll take the bread together after I pray for it, and we'll do the same with the cup as well. But as we read about this, we also understand that we are called to examine ourselves and to come and to confess any sins that we might have before we come to this table. So I'd invite you now to just spend just a few moments in prayer before we come to this table.